in a healthy personal injury firm, their top 5% of their cases typically generates around 50% of their revenue. Let's max out those cases. Finding the top 5% takes a special blend of art and science. Identify the cases with the most potential, get them to the attorneys with the most skill, experience, and results, and support them with your best resources. That's the goal. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Chad Dudley knows how to make it rain. He's the guy to call when firm owners are ready to improve quality of life and profits. As part owner of CJ Advertising and co-founder of Vista Consulting, he has worked with over 200 firms to help them reach their goals. His seemingly simple methods have worked for his own firm as well. As founding partner of Dudley DeBosier Injury Lawyers, he has grown his business to over 170 staff. Today, he shares distilled wisdom that can help any personal injury firm get results. We dive into how data-driven evaluations and radical candor serve as the foundation for a firm to soar sky high. And he explains how to budget advertising spending based on your business model. Chad attended LSU on a tennis scholarship he played D1 for all four years. After college, he considered going pro and taught tennis at a few country clubs. But Chad could not beat the Louisiana Heat. No longer wanting to work outside, he saw law school as a great way to combine his love of reading and writing. Here's what happened after law school. I worked for a big personal injury firm, did it for a while, enjoyed it, but then wanted to try something different. Went to a firm that handled a very small number of high-value high, high value cases. Got to work on some really big uh, files there, big cases there, did some trial work there, enjoyed that. And then I, I um, had a career with uh, a firm that did some advertising. They brought me in to be their COO. Really, that's where I really kind of hit my stride. I enjoyed the operational, the business side, the logistics. The firm was growing and um, the two owners got disbarred. You know, 10 years prior to hiring me, they had paid legal assistance a, a portion of the fee and uh, the bar eventually said, no, we don't like that. And all of a sudden, uh, me and Steve DeBosier, my partner, and James Pelche, my partner, were looking around going, gosh, you know, we're, we're happy. We're enjoying what we're doing. And now we got to make a decision. Either is everyone going to start their own law firms? Is everyone going to join other law firms? Basically, we started Dilly DeBosier. With all that, the phone kind of basically stopped ringing. And we just we decided that we're going to focus on what we can control. With fewer incoming calls, the firm saw an opportunity. They now had more time to spend with existing clients, so they focused on client services, how to identify the best cases, and how to get the best value from what they already had. I had a little bit of a background in some database programming. I was writing some programs that helped us optimize our practice and, and track a lot of things about how frequently we were talking to clients, how frequently we were touching the files, how long we were negotiating, what was our all these things that are sort of the rhythm of what, what makes a law firm flow. And as I was starting to go down this path, other firms reached out and said, hey, that's, you guys are getting some pretty good results. We see you growing. How about, can you help us out? To keep up with demand, Chad started Vista Consulting with Tim Mackey in 2009. This is around the same time he also started his firm, Dudley DeBosier Injury Lawyers, and they both took off. I've gotten to work in some consulting capacity with, with over 200 law firms across the country. You know, Dudley DeBosier went from 
you know, smaller operation. We're across the, the state of Louisiana. We, we manage five other firms. In 2018, we bought the agency that's doing our ads, which is CJ Advertising. We've been running that. So it's been kind of a, a wild ride, but it's been a lot of fun and I wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. You've seen the inner workings of over 200 firms. Correct. That gives you incredible insight into what's working and how to run a thriving practice and like commonalities. I guess let's start with maybe the, the data side. You know, are there key indicators that you can look at, like maybe some key numbers or things when you look at a firm and say, hey, this one's got it going on. This one's really missing. There's so many common elements that you see that success has, you know, leaves clues. And there's certain things that the best firms do on a consistent basis, even though they can be wildly different. You know, I've worked with firms that are like, they might have four or 500 employees and they're multi-state and they just got a massive operation. And then other firms, it's like, it's two attorneys and they got eight people or, and everything in between. You've seen revenue numbers, whether they're spending on labor, what's the average fees that an attorney should generate in a plaintiff personal injury environment. And while there's these general rules that guide you, you know, there's also the anomalies or the exceptions where you're like, okay, well, this is the general rule. This firm does a, a little better. This firm does a little bit worse. But you get these parameters. And I, I can tell you, like, so right now when I go into a firm, I'll do an assessment. You know, I'll gather some information from them. I'm looking at their, their profit and loss statements for the last three to five years. I'll look at some of their intake metrics and data. I'll look at their closed case statistics. And based off those three sort of data sets, I can give them a lot to go on for 12 months in some cases. They'll say, hey, look, did you just tighten up here? This is a little bit out of whack. Let's create your budgets over here. You know, the way I approach it is having taken all that information that I've seen from firms over the past, gosh, you know, almost 15 years doing this, hundreds of firms looking at their data that I start with, okay, where is this firm currently? What are their current strengths, weaknesses? And it's just like a a health check. And I've done, gosh, so many of those over the years. I'm like, okay, what's driving this call? Is it a quality of life thing? Like you're trying to be more efficient or have more discretionary free time? Or is it is it a profit slash growing thing? Like we're trying to scale, we're trying to grow the firm, we're trying to increase profits. And while those are not mutually exclusive, usually when people reach out to me, one or the other is sort of driving a little bit more. Sometimes I have guys say both. Out of all the years I've done this, I've had one firm where I'm like, dude, uh, you're working the hours you want to work. Your firm's making a really crazy health profit. You're in the upper 1% of all the firms that do this. What, what's your drive? And he's like, no, I just wanted to get a check and make sure that, you know, I was like going to the doctor and making sure that everything was healthy. I was being proactive about it. But other than other than that guy, there's been so many that, okay, here, work on this, work on this. And we'll start there. Uh, when I go into a firm, I mean, I always say, look, there's two baskets of low hanging fruit, in my opinion, because a lot of these things that you work on are like disciplines that you just do consistently over time and you start to see some results. The two quick fixes, I would say, are one, intake. Like when I go into a firm, you go like straight to intake and like, okay, if we clean up some stuff today, you're going to see benefits tomorrow. And you can do a lot of stuff in 30 to 60 days, like a ton of stuff. And it's just some really low hanging fruit. The second thing is when we're working with the firm, I'm like, look, can we flag the top 5% of their cases in the building? Like, do we do we have them flagged? And are they with the right person? And, and are we going to maximize value? What can we do? We got to make sure that we do not undervalue those cases and we, we just get the best results. Because in a healthy personal injury firm, their top 5% of their cases typically generates around 50% of their revenue. And sometimes in cases, like, like it, it's, a, it's a bummer because sometimes firms aren't totally in touch with what those top 5% are. And I'll go in there and um, we have to find them first. And there's an art 
defining them. It's, it sounds easy. Well, just go find your top 5%. Well, the more cases you get, it, it's more and more of an art, uh, you know, science to it. But we just try to make sure, like, look, let's max out those cases. And I know that sounds simplistic, but even if you grab one of those cases that was about to settle, maybe say it's about to settle for a million dollars and you push it to get an extra 500, sounds simplistic. When I go into firms, it happens all the time. And just putting the brakes on that process from happening and making sure you get top value and take top 5% max value has a pretty big short-term impact. And then you go hit all the sort of long-term strategies after that. Finding the top 5% cases begins with clear communication with your firm. The conversation may be uncomfortable, but Chad says it's critical to maximizing the value of each case. If the goal of every personal injury firm is to identify the cases with the most potential, get them to the attorneys with the most skill, experience and results and support them with your best resources. If that's the goal, and that should be the goal of every personal injury firm, if you're going to execute on that, one of the first things you have to do is have the attorneys sit around and get some agreement on who, which attorneys the ball needs to go to when a case develops. And, and so that's an uncomfortable conversation, but the firms that aren't willing to have it, it's like, you know, having a football team and everyone wants to be the quarterback and they're all fighting over who's going to be the quarterback and, and no one's running routes and no, one, no one's blocking. No one's, so it creates this unintended chaos. And so one of the first things I'm like, all right, guys, let's just have a conversation. Let's say that all the attorneys in this building, we're going to put them on a scale of tier one to tier five. And tier one is you're fresh out of law school or you've never done personal injury and you're going to require a ton of supervision. Duh, 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 duh. This is the definition, right? All right. Tier five. This is an attorney that has been first chair and made multiple jury trials and gotten verdicts in excess of a million. You trust him with basically any case in any venue. And, and look, these are fast definitions and I work with each firm to develop it and fine tune it. But the concept is now, okay, attorneys, now that we've all talked about and we define tier two, tier three, and tier four. And while there's an outline for it, I like each firm to kind of adopt it to what they feel those things are. And I try to keep it kind of clean so that you can figure out where you fall. And I ask each each attorney on their own. And it's in a survey that we do just online and, and go, all right, now that we've defined these tiers, where do you think you fall? Like just have an honest, like, I think I'm a tier five. I think I'm a tier three. I don't think I'm a tier two. Put where you think you fall. And the second thing that I ask you to put is where do you want to be ultimately? And if you're, you know, you might put, Hey, I'm a tier. I get it. I'm a tier one. I just started, you know, doing this. But I want to be a tier five and I want to be, you know, a great attorney. That tells us a lot, right? And so we'll take that information and a couple of things. Sometimes when I'll work with the leadership at the firm or the owners of the partners at the firm, I'll go, all right, guys, here's what all your attorneys, Joe thinks he's, he thinks he's a tier four and he wants to be a tier five. And sometimes the partners go, oh my, Joe thinks he's a tier four. He's out of his mind. He's, he's a the tier two. And the, the point of that is not to go beat up on Joe. It's not to make him feel like, you know, he's a bad person, but gosh, you got to have those conversations. So you go to him, hey, look, Joe, look, I saw you put four and, you know, this is the, you got to hammer that out because if, if Joe thinks he's a tier four and he's really a tier two and, and you're trying to assign cases and get the cases with the most potential to the attorneys with the most skill and results and, and Joe thinks he's one of those guys, well, you just got to get that out of the way in a conversation versus making it awkward every single time a case is assigned. Right. And firms that aren't willing to have that conversation will operate in this really murky, like, I don't want to take a case from him or we're not supposed to pass the ball in that situation because, you know, we haven't really discussed it. And he thinks he's just as good as this guy, even though this guy's gotten a bunch of jury verdicts and it's designed to just have the And look, sometimes we'll have attorneys that are like, hey, I'm a, I get it. I'm a tier two. I want to be a tier three, but I really don't want to be a tier four, tier five. I don't like, I don't want to try cases. I don't want to go, you know, depositions and I don't, can I play in this ballpark? And that's also awesome. Like, all right, if you're 
cool. You want to be a tier three, you're going to max out there. Here's what your role is. When a case looks like this, you're going to pass it to the tier four, tier five, and you're going to identify those. And if you do that, you help out our clients, you help out our firm. You're not going to be in a position where you're in over your head. Awesome. Great. And some firms will kind of like, everyone's going to be tier five. No, not really. We, we need people playing different roles on the team, but just talk about it. And so many firms are like reluctant to talk about it and it just creates issues. So like when I go to a firm, that's one of the first things I'll hit. I go, let's just talk about this. You know, Dan Kennedy talks about if you only have one horse, you know, and you need to put it down, you can't have one lame horse, right? You got no backup. So is that a, is that a scenario where, hey, you, you rate these attorneys, you're like, oh, I've got ones and twos. Is it a temporary solution to then go refer out to build your team and top grade right away? It sounds like a lot of those principles are like the Ray Dalio, you know, the, the radical candor type principles. Yeah, you got to get there because like, I mean, if you watch some of these, you know, like watch a documentary on any high performing team, there's a high level of candor. Like you're not beating around the bush. People are, you know, great coaches will say, hey, I know as a coach, we're implementing a certain standard and having certain conversations. That's good. We'll be okay. If we have leaders on the team that are implementing a certain standard and, you know, giving, have a certain level of candor, that's even better. Because we really, a lot of them will say we reach championship status when the players on the team, the guys on the front lines are adopting the standard and not afraid to have those conversations, right? Where if you're running a sprint and you're half-assing it and the guy next to you, your teammate, your partner, your colleague is like, dude, you can do better. That, that, was, that was a bunch of crap of what you just put out there on the field. When it's at that level and you can talk to each other in, in that amount of candor, everyone gets better. And so, you know, I have firms who are like, hey, we want to be, a great trial firm. I do do an assessment. Like, when's the last time you guys went to trial? What does it look like? Okay, you got you got a bunch of tier two and tier threes. Is that the end of the world? No, but just be honest, kind of where you are, and then okay, well, what's the best way to improve that skill set? I'm like, well, you'll be the same person in five years from now that you are today, but for the books you read and the people you meet. Well, what does that mean? Well, go find you know some guys that are getting the results that you want to get. And can you co-counsel? Can you learn from them? Can you go to conferences? Can you listen to podcasts like this? Can you read books and improve your skill set? Because there's a lot of guys out there that I know that have made that leap and they're, they're aggressive about that. You can't want to be a tier five and, and not do these things and not take your craft. And so just and so if you got a bunch of tier ones and tier twos and you're like, man, we've never, our firm's never settled a case over a million dollars or whatever. We've never gotten a verdict over a million dollars. You're going to ask yourself, well, yeah, I mean, to the hammer, everything's a nail to a tier one, tier two attorney. You might not see the big cases that are right in front of you. Ah, there's like a Nick Saban quote here. It's like high performers <laughs> can't tolerate the low. I can't remember exactly. The low performers and the low performers don't like the high High achievers, you know, yeah. something like it, that. It, even being, even being a Baton Rouge and an LSU fan, I can still appreciate that. Yeah. Nick Saban, uh, yeah. he's, done, <laughs> he's done enough good. But yeah, I think you know the short version is like high performers don't like to hang out with wingnuts. I mean, they want to be around other people that have a certain standard, and they're impatient and anxious being around people that just don't have that standard. When I go visit a firm, there's actually a really clean way to see how good is the firm at executing on identifying its best cases, getting them to. Uh, highly qualified people and supporting them with their best resources. And it's a, it's a proto point analysis. And we're like, all right, if your top 5% of your cases does not produce 50% of your fees, is there opportunity? If it's only, if your top 5% only produces 25% of your fees, if your top 20% doesn't produce 80% of your fees, but only 60%, usually those are firms that are not good at executing on that mission, right? They treat all cases basically the same. The more you treat cases the same, you see that sort of distortion in those numbers and they're not a clean 5% produces 50 and 20% produces 80. And um, you're like, okay, this firm's got some opportunity. They, they got big cases in their building. Like, you know, the two things that I hear from firms when I'm working with them, I'm like, 
I'm going to call BS on that is we can't find great people and we, we don't have good cases. We don't have great cases because you say, I can't find great people. Now, most of the time it's because your training sucks <laughs> and, and you have such a narrow window of people that will be successful at your firm that you got to find, you know, one out of a hundred is going to succeed at your firm. As your training improves, as your coaching improves, as those systems also now the number might be, well, 90 people out of 100 could, could do well at your firm because it's so it's, it's so easy. It's made so clear, right? And that's, that's so I think when you say I can't find good people, you replace that with our training sucks and we got to improve it. The other thing is when people say we don't have great cases, I'd say you do. You're just not good at finding them. Or you're treating them just like everything else, not treating them special. Yes. And if you're relying on tier one, tier two, even tier three attorneys to, to see what makes a great case, you're, you're going to have a tough time finding them. When your firm needs to fill lead pipeline, it might be time to invest in advertising. Chad explains how to think about advertising in relation to business development at your firm. The first thing is, you know, I ask a firm, they're like, hey, what, what should these numbers look like? Is it, well, it depends. What are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a low volume, high value practice? Like each, each attorney is only going to handle 20 cases and you want them all to be worth, you know, in excess of a million. I'm like, okay, well, in that situation, you need all pretty much all tier five attorneys. Your acquisition is going to come mostly from co-counsel. Your a lot of your stuff is going to come from increasing attorney referrals. That's that's one methodology. And so your advertising budget is going to look a little different. Your labor budget might be a little bit higher, depending on how many of those guys are, are partners, because the ones that stick around in that environment tend to have all partners. Like they're all got some piece of the pie. You don't get tier fives that aren't having some participation in the upside. Okay. That's a different conversation. Okay. Or are you, okay, I'm an advertising guy that's trying to get, I want to be someone that's doing mass advertising out of the gates. What's that going to look like? Well, guess what? Your, you know, your advertising to revenue ratio is going to probably look at, it might be 30, 35, 40%. It might get up in, in that range, but your labor ratio is going to be really, really low because a lot of the times you're working in the, you're working, you know, just in the business. You're trying to, and, and you, there's a conversation. There's a, there's a book called Simple Numbers, Simple Profits. And I, I think it's Dan Crabtree. He kind of gets in the concept of, well, when the owner's working in the business, don't calculate that as free labor, right? You should say, well, if I were paying myself what I would pay someone to do this in the open market, how much free labor am I providing the entity, right? And you got, you got to look at that. And while it's well, it's just a fact of life in the early stages of a startup of a, a firm, you always want to keep your eye on it and make sure like you don't ever think, well, I'm, I'm great. I'm really profitable when you're providing 500 grand of free labor a year to the to the firm, right? <laughs> and it's covering over a bunch of inefficiencies of that. So to, to answer your question is like, okay, I first ask, what are they trying to build? Like, is it a mass tort firm? Okay, well, those are big, epic, typical you know, swings in um, in revenue. I've seen that. Or is it a, is it a referred out firm? You're just going to try and get the cases in the door. Okay, well, in that one, well, your marketing might be 40, 50% of your revenue and your, your labor is going to be 10 or 15%, right? It's a totally different model. And, and so you're kind of like, and we put it on paper, is this, what are you excited about doing? And if you, if we were to have this conversation three years from now, what do you want your firm to look like? And I can tell you based on what you're telling me you want to build, okay, I want to do a hybrid. I want to, you know, mass torts, but then I want to also have a single event practice. Okay. And I want to make sure that in the low years for mass tort, that single event stays at this level of profitability for the firm and da, da, da. And if we hit on mass torts, then it looks like, and you kind of model that out in budgets. And we usually go three, three years out of what we're trying to do. And I give numbers out all the time. And it's funny because, you know, in groups like, oh, my numbers are way better than that. And, and you dig in and like, yeah, I mean, you're a different firm. You're, you're solo. Yeah. Uh, your hand, you know, you got no overhead for this and, and yeah, but while it's good to know the numbers, you got to know your numbers and know kind of where you want to be like, 
like the guy I spoke to that I looked at his firm was like healthy labor ratio, great case acquisition number, working the number of hours he wanted to work in each week. He, could, he had a discretionary free time that okay, it all jived and he liked what he was doing. I'm like, man, just keep going. I don't know. You hey, know. here's some validation. You're doing good. <laughs> yeah. So usually there's some rub that people are going, hey, can you... I got an itch I need to scratch. Can you help us solve this? Can you help us get here? We'll, we'll get a strategy that takes all of those budgets into consideration. Wow. Okay. So you're talking about the low volume, you know, getting peer referrals and things and like the, the, the expert litigators, right? A lot of times they have a niche um, where they can go deep in a particular area of the law. One of the things I've always wondered is if they try to do both, it's almost a conflict of interest. If I'm depending upon peer referrals, but then I get a case and I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't want to pay a referral fee. I'm going to go start advertising myself. Now you're competing against the guy that's referring you cases. Do they see it like that? Do they stop getting their referrals when they become an advertising threat? If they are sending cases to someone that is uh, not doing advertising, then those guys start to advertise. Most of the time, they'll find a new referral partner. But each everyone's a little different. I know there's some that, that don't necessarily fall in that category. They're like, look, have at it. I'm going to keep getting the but most of the time that that will happen. One of the things that I have seen as an evolution probably over the last decade, and I think we've, we've been a big proponent of it is, you know, you used to have these like firms are either, either, or they're either, Hey, you're a advertising high volume. When I say low value, I don't mean like, I'm not talking about the, the clients or the, who you represent. I'm talking about in general, their average close fee is lower. And then you got the low volume guys are high value and they're like, we, we have a case count of 20, 20 cases. They're all highly contested liability. Damages are through the roof. We have to litigate every single one. We have to try most of them. And so those are used to be like two separate types of firms. You're either or. The evolution has been, well, I think, and, and we were took this very seriously early on. It's like, why can't we be both? And so we had to have the conversation with, okay, let's talk about who are the best attorneys. And if a case looks like this, you got we're going to pass the ball from here to here. Okay, I get it. That ultimately one day you want to handle cases like this cool, you're going to work with these guys, but we can't, you're not taking a test run on a client, right? We're going to make sure you know how to fly the plane. We make sure that you are trained or make sure that you're, you've gone side by side with someone a bunch of times before we turn you loose on one of those on your own and just have that conversation. And so the goal was, can we have both? And, and so now there's, a, I think there's a bunch of firms that are saying, yeah, we can, we can get in a bunch of cases and we're going to select top 5%, top 20%, get it to attorneys that are of this skill level and let them focus on those cases. And and there are still some of the, the guys that just, there are still some firms that are like lower volume guys that, that work with, like if a mass firm has no tier four, tier five guys, I'm like, guys, you got to find a friend. I mean, you got to go talk to one of these guys, have them sit in on, on your best cases and develop some rapport because you know they need you that you need them there's a deal to be cut to get the best result for the clients right and so that's been a conversation i think i think it works well but yeah i mean if you're a low volume high value you get a bunch of return referrals from an advertising firm and then you go start advertising most of the time that faucet turns off i was earlier going to ask you about revenue per employee but i guess it's just different right if you got the the volume you probably got way more head count lower revenue per employee and you got the lower volume, you got super high revenue per employee. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and look, it, it, it's, again, it's, it's a different model where like, okay, if you're a referred out firm or like cases come in you're like referring them out immediately and doing co-counsel agreements, I mean, your labor ratio is going to be low, your revenue per employee is going to be low. And so those, you look at the numbers for those firms a little bit differently. And then you look at, okay, well, a low volume, high value firm, that's going to look a little bit a little bit different here. And so I'll just look and see what it is. I will look at revenue per employee. I will look at revenue. So 
I'll say revenue per fee center. And by fee center, I mean some firms, they have case managers that's, that resolve things pre-lit. Who in the firm is expected to generate fees? Do you have a case manager pre-lit that, that's expected to generate fees? Well, that's a fee center. And then lit, is it only attorneys? Most firms are, okay, it's only attorneys or fee centers. But then you're like, well, we have 10 attorneys. I'm like, yeah, but you have one that's a an intake attorney. You have one that's a research attorney. You have one that's a, that's a partner that's managing the firm. Those three are not. Are you expecting them to produce fees? Well, no. Okay. Well, then you got seven fee centers. And what's your revenue per fee center? And so you kind of look at these things in totality and you're like, okay, well, if your labor ratio is high, total amount spent on compensation divided by revenue, if that ratio is high, it's, it's north of 40%, then you got to ask yourself, well, is it is it high because our fee centers are not producing a proportionate amount of revenue that we would expect per fee center? Okay, well, that's they need to produce more. Or is it high? Like, hey, they're producing. We're just carrying a lot of overhead. We're not getting, we're, we're carrying a lot of labor. And that's a difference. Are the comp plans wrong? Are the, what's going on there? Volume would lend itself to productization versus the low volume would be more bespoke, more custom, more maximizing value and looking at each individual case. You know, we, we try to go, okay, I, I know we get a bunch of cases. I know that, that we're fortunate that we get to represent, we're lucky enough to represent so many clients, but we also want each of those clients to feel like they hired a firm where they do get that bespoke treatment. They're treated as an individual, not as a number, a person whose story matters. I think that that's the goal. That's that's our, our, our mission. We're continuing to try and innovate, to try and get better at our craft so that we can serve our clients better, get better results for our clients, and that we can create a place. You know, Our, our core values are take care of our team, take care of our clients, do great work, have fun, give back to the community, and do what's right, not what's easy. And um, we love it. You know, me and my partners, we love what we do, and that's what we take pride in. Thanks so much to Chad for sharing his insights today. If you want to get a hold of him, you can email Chad. Reach out to Chad at cdudleydebosier.com. That's Chad at c d u d l e y d e b o s i e r dot com. Here we go. Pinpoint number one. Chances are you've already got great cases walking through your door. Trick lies in identifying the top 5% of cases and getting them to a higher value. This begins with intake. I'll do an assessment and I'll look at some of their intake metrics and data. Like, okay, if we clean up some stuff today, you're gonna see benefits tomorrow. And you can do a lot of stuff in 30 to 60 days, like a ton of stuff. And it's just some really low hanging fruit. All right, pinpoint number two, growth, more free time, better profitability, Whatever your goals are for your firm, you gotta know where you're at before you can make changes for major impact. Benchmark the talent of your existing attorneys. Ask about their goals for professional development and identify your firm's gaps and ability so that you can co-counsel or hire appropriately to get maximum value for your case. Tier one is you're fresh out of law school or you've never done personal injury and you're gonna require a ton of supervision. This is the definition, right? All right, tier five. This is an attorney that has been first chair and made multiple jury trials and gotten verdicts in excess of a million. One of the first things you have to do is have the attorney sit around and get some agreement which attorneys the ball needs to go to when a case develops. And pinpoint number three, advertising budgets have to be tailored to your business model and your specific business development plan. We often hear generalized numbers, like you have to invest X percentage to have a successful campaign or project, but filling the pipeline requires thoughtful resource allocation. 
what are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a low volume, high value practice? Like each, each attorney is only gonna handle 20 cases and you want them all to be worth you know, in excess of a million. I'm like, okay, well, a lot of your stuff's gonna come from increasing attorney referrals. Or I, I wanna be someone that's doing mass advertising out of the gates, what's that gonna look like? Well, guess what? Your advertising to revenue ratio is gonna probably look at, it might be 30, 35, 40%. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Chris Stryer. If you like what you heard today, click on the follow button so you never miss an episode and leave a review. I'll be forever grateful. Now get out there and dominate. I'm out.